7.34, let me ask you a question. Do you know a fake news article when you see one? If so, how? Text us your answer, pound a sharp, 1013 for 51 per message. Because information, true or false, appears to be becoming an even sharper weapon with several key elections this year, but also apparently between countries. Let's bring in Ben Nimmo, Information Defence Fellow with the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab, also known as a professional fake news hunter. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you and good morning. Can you briefly describe what you actually do for us? Yes, I, I study influence and manipulation through information and various sorts of information. So, so that involves looking at fake news, uh, looking at propaganda, looking at trolling, looking at more classic forms of disinformation and, and working out how it works, how it's meant to impact people and ultimately trying to find ways to make it less effective. You know, when I look back in recent history, I can think of quite a few examples of, uh, of sensational stories that, that were proven to be false. And, we, you know, we obviously have laws to prevent that from happening through libel and so on. But, but what do you think is behind the, the sudden rising awareness of fake news since that November presidential election in the U.S.? Well, I think the presidential election itself had a, had a lot to do with it um, because the... Uh, just the, the the volume of fake news going around that election was was unprecedented, as far as I can tell. Um, you know, and it was the most not just the volume, but the the acrimoniousness of it was was on a whole new level. Um, and for example, late last year there was a report by BuzzFeed saying that fake news reports had actually been more shared on Facebook than genuine news had. Uh, that doesn't mean necessarily that it's been, see been seen by more people, but just the number of accounts which had shared it, whether they were real people or, or fake accounts, was larger than the, account the number of accounts faring genuine news. So it's the combination of the scale and the sheer nastiness of it. Of it. I mean, one of, one of the most famous fake news stories from last year is, is, is nicknamed Pizzagate, mm. which is an entirely made-up story that Hillary Clinton was running a paedophile ring out of a pizzeria in Washington, D.C., that may well become a definitive example, but can you give us some other cases that you've come across that you know you've seen having particularly damaging consequences? Um, there have been a few. One, one of the other classic examples is known as the Lisa case, and this was in Germany at the beginning of last year. Um, a Russian state TV broadcaster ran a story that a, a young Russian girl living in Germany had been raped by Muslim migrants. Now, there was no fact to that story at all, um, but the Russian media kept on pushing it. In the end, the Russian foreign minister commented on it on the record, and you had several thousand demonstrators taking to the streets in Germany as a result, protesting against this thing that had never happened. Um, going back, well, going back a decade now, there was another one in Estonia in 2007, where the Estonian government decided to relocate a war memorial from a city centre site to a war cemetery a couple of miles away. Um, and this was presented in the Kremlin-led press as blasphemy and demolishing the monument and violating the bones of the dead. And that triggered two nights of rioting in which over 100 people were injured, one person was killed, um, parts of Tallinn were, were, were smashed and looted. Um, and again, it was based on a, on a, on a, a false interpretation of what was actually happening.
And um, speaking of Germany, Chancellor Angela Merkel recently got uh, a fair bit of criticism because of a photo taken back in 2015 with a Syrian asylum seeker who was falsely described as a terrorist. Um, the man in the picture then filed a lawsuit against Facebook for allowing reports to be reposted and shared. Is that a kind of victory against fake news, the fact that this kind of legal action can be taken against Facebook, or, or, or is that going down the wrong path? Well, I mean, to be honest, it partly depends on what outcome there is of the of the actual case. Um, but it leads to the question of regulation, which is a hugely, hugely tricky one when you're talking about Internet-based um, news and fake news, because it, it's not clear who is the... Uh, who's the relevant authority? Who, you know, who's in, who polices the internet? Who's in charge of it? If your if your server is based in one country, but somebody in another country is read is reading the story, then the second country has no remedy other than to go to the first country and say, "Well, hang on, I don't like that story. Can you have it taken down?" And then, depending on national legislation on freedom of speech and regulation, um, it's very very hard to police the internet. Mm. Also, there's the question of whose job is it to police content? And if, if you think of, you know, ultimately, Facebook is just a broadcast medium. You know, fa Facebook is its own kind of TV, in effect. If you think of the way regulation of TV stations works, it's not the airwaves which have to regulate the content. It's the actual producers of it. So, so in the UK, for example, the telecoms regulator Ofcom has the power to enforce journalistic standards on broadcast media. But it's the individual broadcaster who is responsible for their products. So if you take that as the analogy for Facebook, that would mean that it's the individual account holder of the Facebook account who is responsible for their content, not Facebook as a whole. And to, 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 I, I can see why there is this temptation to say, Facebook, sort it out. You're so big, you're allowing people to spread this. But when a, when a particular service has hundreds of millions of users... I don't think it's actually practical. Mm. Broadly it's just speaking, too much though, information flow. Um, broadly speaking, drawing on what you just said there, um, let's look at some of the motivations behind fake news uh, as an answer to to who. And I, I guess this can be summed up under two general banners: uh, financial motivations and political motivations. Absolutely spot on. I mean, th there's no one person who has a monopoly or there's no one country that has a monopoly on fake news, but, but you can divide it that way. It's, it's, it's either the power or the money, effectively. Um, and for example, last year, there were various, various stories that came out, again, around the US election of, let's call them information entrepreneurs um, in countries like Macedonia and Georgia, who were making up fake stories about the election and posting them online purely so that they would get the advertising revenue. All they wanted was the clicks, and from the clicks they got the money. Um, they, they had no particular political bias at all, and in fact they were spreading fake stories about both sides just to see which would work better. So that's the, that's the commercial aspect. On the other side, you then have the, the, the committed political operators who are making up fake news specifically to make one side in, in any particular argument look bad. And for example, there was a story I found a few weeks ago where a pro-Kremlin website in rebel-occupied Ukraine made up a story that the United States was sending 3,600 tanks to attack Russia. Now, if you look at the numbers of that, that that's absurd. The U.S. Mm. has about 8,600 tanks in total. Mm. 
worldwide. So this would have been almost half the entire U.S. tank holding going in one direction. Um, it, it was a clear fake story, and, and the, the actual number of tanks was 180 in the end. So they'd inflated the number 20-fold. That was very clearly a, a political attempt to make the U.S. and NATO look like the aggressors to then justify what Russia was doing in Ukraine. Yeah. So, so, so there you've got a clear political motivation. It's fairly obvious to trace what the reasoning is. Well, well Russia keeps coming up in these allegations including, of course, around the U.S. presidential election. Do you see that as being a, a sophisticated, orchestrated um, network, almost, of, of fake news operators, or, or is it something that happens, do you think, more organically and a bit more haphazardly? Well, this is something where you, you need to be really careful with the terminology, because um, you know, fake news, it's not a very well-defined concept, but it's effectively making something up. And, and normally in, in any given fake news story, 10% of it will be factual and 90% will be fiction. That's not actually something which Russia does particularly often because when it gets caught doing it, the blowback is fairly significant. What you get a lot more is biased, one-sided reporting, tendentious reporting, you know, Criticize one side, find a commentator who criticizes the people you don't like, even if they're not remotely credible. As long as they say the right thing, you will broadcast them. Mm. And then you ignore all the people from the other side. So, so, so you, you need to be slightly careful with the, with the exact terminology you're using. But in general, I mean, Russia does have an extremely large and extremely full-spectrum information campaign. So... You, you'll have, I mean, it starts from the top. There, there have been occasions when President Putin has stood on the, on the podium and just lied. For example, in 2014, when he said those, little, you know, those men in green uniforms who've popped up in Crimea are local self-defense forces. Well, they weren't. They were Russian special forces, and he admitted that a year later. So, so it goes all the way from the top, and then you have official media like RT television, Russia Today television, um, which portrays itself as an alternative broadcaster, but it's been found guilty by the UK regulator Ofcom of having more programs violating the obligation to preserve due impartiality than any other broadcaster in the UK. Mm. Um, so it, you know, it's, it's been very biased. And then coming down another level, you have pro-Kremlin outlets, which seem to have an awful lot of money to do very glossy productions, and nobody's quite sure where it comes from. And they do a lot of very blatant propaganda, but they're not officially linked to the Kremlin in the same way. So they, they're they clearly following the same message, but it's not clear what the chain of command is. Well, and then another step down, you have you have what they call the troll factory, which is yes. you know, hundreds of people sitting in offices in St. Petersburg whose job is to post offensive comments on Twitter and Facebook and Internet fora and the rest of it just to pollute the information environment. So, so you've really got a full-spectrum effort there. And there was a huge scandal around that very kind of action, the troll factory, if you like, uh, ahead of our last presidential election here in South Korea with the National Intelligence Service getting in trouble over that. Um, so, you know, we don't want to pin the whole thing on Russia here, but it is an interesting example. Um, the, the other thing, of course, is that we have an election again coming up this year. We don't know exactly when that will be. There are several key elections in Europe, which I know is your special interest. Are you concerned mm -hmm. on the back of what happened in the US that we're going to see more than ever these elections come under the pressure of fake news? Yes, I, I think we are. And, and 
again, it's, there's no one country which has a monopoly on this. I mean, I, we talk about Russia. Russia is my background. That's where my language skills are. But but there are all kinds of different countries which which are doing similar things. And and the the longer this goes on, the more you're going to see copycat operations pop up. I mean, as as with any crime, if somebody sees it work somewhere else, they will try the same thing. Yes. Um, so so. I would expect to see much more of the same you know, because it has been it's been seen to be a problem it's been seen to have a political effect and it's been seen that it's very very hard to stop so if you're a somewhat malicious actor who wants to get a an unfair political advantage why wouldn't you do that I'd, I'd like to ask you as well uh, Mr Nimmo because this is probably all we have time for using your own expertise as this very uh, intriguing title goes, a professional fake news hunter. What advice would you have for us all as we make our next click? What should we be looking out for to spot fake news? For me, the, the very first red flag is emotion. Look at the headline and judge. Is that headline trying to make me think something or is it trying to make me feel something? Because a lot of, of the way this disinformation works is it tries to trigger people's emotional responses. Because if you feel angry enough or afraid enough, you'll stop thinking. And once you stop thinking, you're much, much easier to manipulate. And this is something we've, we've seen a lot in some of the Russian information campaigns. The fear-mongering, you know, it, it literally gets to the level of Russian diplomats tell people, well, if you do that, when we'll have to put you on the nuclear strike list. Mm. You know, th threatening somebody with nuclear annihilation is about as scary as it gets. And what that does is presses the button that makes you go, I need to avoid that. And you stop thinking. And, and a lot of fake news is aimed at making people angry or afraid. So whenever you see a headline, ask yourself, is this trying to tell me something or is it trying to make me feel something? Then beyond that, you can start looking at what I think of as the ABC, accuracy, balance and credibility if you see a story which says here's a fact that happened google the fact see if other people are reporting the same thing seeing if they see if they're giving the same numbers think about balance if you're reading a story about anything controversial it should be reporting both sides of the story it doesn't have to give them exactly 50 50 yes. but it needs to report both sides if you find a story which only tells one side of the story Ignore it. But, and the third one is credibility. Look mm -hmm. at the names of the commentators there. You know, is it a professor from Cambridge University or is it somebody that you've never heard of from an outlet that you've never heard of where when you Google it, it doesn't exist? It, it makes a difference who is actually being quoted there. So the ABC of accuracy, balance and credibility is usually a good rule of thumb. Ben Nimmo, thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Absolute pleasure having you on the line. Ben Nimmo from the Atlantic Council. Uh, something else, of course, to watch out for is if the adverts on a website are of uh, adult content or something else inappropriate, that's often an indicator as well. But if you want to add any of your own red flags and help other listeners out, Powder Sharp 1013 for 51 per message.